Come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You may be seated. I hope you were able to get a handout. If not, there are some still available back on the uh, silver podium back there. Uh, this is our study of the scarlet thread of redemption that runs through uh, the entirety of the Bible. This is an overlook of each book of the Bible. And I hope it is that you have been keeping up with these. When we get completed with this study, you'll have a 66-page booklet that will give you a one-page outline of every book in the Bible. The key word in the book of 1 Samuel is prayer. The book begins with looking at the uh, birth of Samuel and Hannah as she prays for him. It ends with uh, the defeat of Saul and one by the name of David who's coming on the scene. David is one of the most pronounced uh, characters that you and I will find in the entirety of the Bible. It is a marker. David is a marker for Jesus. When we, when we begin to see in, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God saying, I'm going to send the deliverer. And then in Genesis chapter 49, we see that he's coming out of this, these ones called Judah. And we see what tribe he's coming from. Here, when we meet up with David, that is a key flashing in our minds as we know him and understand him as the one who is from the house of David. So as we are getting closer and closer to our Lord being on this earth, we find David. This book really transitions from the judges to the kings. You have a point at which the nation of Israel is being judged and everything is running right along according to those 15 judges. But it is in 1 Samuel chapter 8 where you'll find these people make this statement and this unfortunate statement. We want a king like everybody else. Mm. You know, generally we look at that phrase and we say, well, they wanted a king. They wanted to stop being uh, ruled by judges. They wanted this. They wanted that. In reality, when you and I look at it, what they wanted to do was take God out of the place where he should have been as the king of Israel and install some man. I don't, my opinion of this statement has changed several times over the years. And right now, I'll just tell you what I think right now. I don't know if they understood the, the deepness of the statement they made when they said we want a king like everybody else. I don't think they understood how far that reached in and how far it pushed God out. 
Maybe they were just thinking in terms of a physical uh, civil government, hopefully. That's the best it could be. If not, then they truly were looking at pushing God out of the way. When you and I read through the book of 1 Samuel, uh, we, we see a lot of different people. We see some firsts mentioned in here. The first use of the title, the Lord of Hosts. The first use of the word Messiah, or Anointed One. The first name, Ichabod, the glory has departed, or Ebenezer, Lord is my helper. What we see is this particular book in our Bibles, two books, First and Second Samuel. In the Hebrew Bible, it's simply the book of Samuel. That's a long book. We have 31 chapters, and I don't recall how many are in 2 Samuel, but that's going to be a long book. And so those who were forming the Bible split that book up for us as it would be an easier chunk to kind of uh, process. And I want us tonight to look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know exactly what happens in this chapter. You know exactly what happens. You've known exactly what happens in this chapter for years. And I mean years. I think it is in cradle roll, or it normally has been, that we spend the majority of our time in creation, right? And we sing all those little songs, and day one, day one, God made this. And as our children grow in that educational process here at, at, the, uh, at where the church meets, what we find is introducing new things to them as they grow older. We look then at Noah, we look at uh, Abraham, we look at uh, Isaac, it's not long before we look at David and Goliath, is it? How long have you been hearing about David and Goliath? Oh, go ahead. If you have a tally mark, go ahead and mark one more down because we're going to talk about them tonight. David and Goliath. Y'all should see what I'm seeing. It helps if you turn those on. There you go. As you and I look at the book of 1 Samuel, especially chapter 17, what we find is a boy up against a man. We have said, and I even said it this morning in our, uh, in our sermon, uh, we have said in those cases of mismatches, we have said for years this is a David versus Goliath moment. And this, this really is. This is not a story. This is not a story. This is not a story. That was three times. This is an account. The difference in the phraseology, story, and account gives this account validity. When we look at it like just another Bible story, we lump it in together with things like Hansel and Gretel. We lump it into things like Jack and the Beanstalk. They don't exist. Are you telling me a boy can beat a man? 
I'm telling you that a boy didn't have to. Nine feet, six inches, is roughly how tall I am standing on this top little, is this a layer? What do you call this? On the top part of the stage. I am roughly as tall as Goliath was. If we had a volunteer, we could stand them on the floor and you'd see how tall. I even, Frank, come here. Stand right here. I picked her because she's short. Just face them. You want to see the difference? There you go. Thank you, ma'am. You, you want to put that into some sort of perspective where you can understand what's going to happen in this particular chapter? I'm six feet tall, which means Goliath was uh, my body plus a half. Tall really doesn't have anything to do with it. The tallest guy to ever play in the NBA was a man by the name of Manute Bowl from Africa, and he looked like he weighed about 108 pounds. And he was 7'7". There is a larger fellow, uh, both in character and in size, but he was only 7'2". And his name was Shaquille O'Neal. And he looked like he weighed 308 pounds. And he played like it. It's not the fact that Goliath was just tall. That's one thing. It's not the fact that Goliath was just big. That's a whole other thing. It is the fact that just the, the armor that he would wear on his chest weighed 40 pounds. The tip of his spear weighing somewhere around 27 pounds. He has the one who goes before him who carries his own spear for him. And he comes out into uh, this valley day by day, and he says this. Bring somebody down here, and we'll fight. If I win, you guys serve us. If you win, we'll serve you. What we'll find out later in 1 Samuel chapter 17 is... Goliath has been making this boastful comment for days and probably has been making this boastful comment not to just this army, but every army for years. He's been, he is the warrior. He is the top of the rung. He, this is it. And all of Israel... From the king down is cowering. Everybody's scared. You know why? Everybody's terrified of him because he looks like he can back it up. There's a lot of difference between somebody talking and somebody talking who can actually back it up. And he looks like the guy who can back it up. Then there's this kid. 
who was sent by his father, Jesse, who was probably somewhere in 17, 18-ish years old, sent by his father to bring food to his brothers. The military has changed over the years. If you want to eat in the military uh, during David's day, then you better get your mom or daddy to bring you some food. And David is dropping off supplies for his brother. When he hears that voice in the valley, to which he says, is there not a cause for someone to stand up and defend God? Is there not a cause at all? His brothers would say to him, why don't you go back home? All you're looking for is a fight. Think about it. To this point, David has been with sheep and has protected them. This is his first glimpse at war. And now all he's going to see really when he gets up here is a bunch of people being scared. He didn't see anybody fight anybody. Or at least that's what his brothers think. Which David said, there, there, there's, a, there's a reason why man should stand up. He goes then to speak to the chief of the army, the, the commander-in-chief. He goes to speak to Saul, the king. You know, the one who was made mention of earlier in the book as being head and shoulders taller than every other Jew. You know, the, the one who, when he rides on that horse, he looks like a king. You know that one, that one who's over here amongst the things scared too. And in a move that I think might be the first recorded piece of political correctness, Saul tries to convince David to put on the armor so Saul won't look bad. What are you going to go out there with? I ain't got anything. Well, go out there with this. For what? So I can die with your stuff on? David says in a roundabout way, I'm not going to die with your things on. What he says is I haven't proven these things. These that I have with me, this sling and all these sorts of things that I would have as a shepherd, I have proven time and time again in the field. They work against bears. They work against lions. I don't see why they'd miss against a Philistine. And Saul really doesn't want him to go. Saul really is looking for some other way than sending this kid out into a battlefield against a man who is heavily armed with him with, with nothing. What's he supposed to do? And here's the deal for David. If you defeat this giant, I'll give you my daughter. Which to us might not sound like a good trophy, but think about it for a moment. Here's a shepherd who will be 
taken into the house of the king. That's, that's pretty good. And your family won't have to pay taxes. Now would you go fight him? Is it just me? Mm-hmm. Some of y'all are not telling the truth. And now I'd fight him. Sure. You don't have to pay taxes. You mean this year? I mean ever. It's a good deal. David's not doing it for those perks. David's not doing it for the fact that he won't have to pay taxes or the fact that he'll, he'll have a wife who is the daughter of the king. David still, his intention is the same as it was when he was asking his brothers, is there not a cause? Is there not some reason why man should not go out and defend God? There absolutely is. And so, we find him leaving Saul's tent and going toward the valley. Stopping by the the creek, he picks up five smooth stones. And the discussion has been, and, and I guess will continue over this fact, why five? Some would say perhaps he misses altogether possible but just consider this for just a moment you are aware that Goliath has four brothers equally his size right oh some of you don't realize that just 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 chew on that for a minute and tell me what you think about it later Goliath sees this boy coming across the valley and says out loud so everyone can hear, what in the world have you guys sent out here to fight me? Am I a dog? What, what, are, you, what are you doing? This, this person is nothing. This fight is going to be over in just a second. As a matter of fact, I'm going to kill him and leave his body here so that the birds eat him. To which David replied, Michael read for us so eloquently, you got that wrong. That's paraphrase. That's, that's the Alabama paraphrase. You got that wrong. I'm going to kill you and leave your body here. And by the way, one of these two is going to be right. Either Goliath is going to obliterate David because of his experience and because of David's size and Goliath's size. Or God is going to use David to do something that is unbelievable. And then... Then David does something that is out of the realm of normalcy for us. This untrained soldier of 17 or 18 years against this older, seasoned man who'd been at war longer than David had been alive begins to run at Goliath. He goes on the offensive. 
which I can only assume takes Goliath by surprise. What in the world's going on? What are you doing? Why are you running out here? I'm sure it didn't affect him very much, but he may not have ever seen that before, and that's probably the last thing he did see. To which David has in his sling one of these smooth rocks, and the sling is not like a slingshot like you and I think. It's, it's a, really a strap, a leather strap, looks about the length of a work boot shoestring normally. And has a pouch right in the middle, and you, you uh, build up the uh, centrifugal force going around in a circle, and you fling it out, and hey, it, it flies. And David hits Goliath between the eyes. The rock embeds. The giant falls. And that's not the end of the story. But that's where we generally end it, doesn't it? He hit him and he fell over and Israel wins. This is what the first and second grade class really likes. And then, not only did he hit him in the head with a rock and knock him down, but then he went and stood on his chest and cut off his head with his own sword. And blood was everywhere. They like that part. And David keeps his promise. I'll take your head. Today. It was absolutely nothing because of what David did. He is outmatched. He is out-experienced. It is all because of who David served. David did not win the battle. Israel won the battle. God won the battle because God wins the battles. That's what he does. Maybe you look at me and say, well, I'm never going to face a giant. Well, maybe not. Maybe you'll never have to. But just maybe you will. What if in your life you've already faced that giant? You could tell me very similar stories, I'm sure. Want to talk about facing a giant? Talk to the Bondies. Want to talk about facing a giant? I was 14 when my parents divorced. That messes with your head a little bit. You have to figure out who you are. In a house full of girls. You know, you all, we all have similar accounts in our lives of things that, that we never expected, never saw coming, and yet here it is right here in front of us, and you've got to do something with it. And just a side note for you, just because you faced one giant doesn't mean you won't face another. When we look at the account of David versus Goliath, what am I, as a New Testament Christian, supposed to learn from this account? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Number one, you will face giants. The end. You will. It is coming. Don't lie to yourself. You will face giants. Is that, is that clear? 
I don't know how to make it any more clearer than that. Those giants are coming. They are out there, and they are ready for battle. And you will face them. Number two. Will you face the giant alone? You see, in verses 1 through 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, what we see is that giant who's standing out there all alone. And we see David ask that question, is there not a cause to defend God? He knows from that point in time, he knows from right there, that when he goes out there, he's not going to be alone. That's what he knows. Giants in our lives, sometimes we can face alone. Sometimes we can defeat them alone. And sometimes we think we can. Only to be defeated. You will face giants. Will you face it alone? Or, according to verse 45 through 47, will you face it with God? When David comes out and approaches uh, Goliath, he comes out as a representative for God the Father. He comes out as one who is representing the army of Israel. He comes out as God's soldier. Comes out knowing he's not alone. Knowing that the one that he has faith in also has the strength, the might, and the power to defeat anyone. Take a side note, which will be fast-forwarding the Bible for David, but in our history, remember that it is God's angel, just the angel, who killed 185,000 in one night. What do you think he can do, God himself, with a giant? The giant thinks he, he, he is going to win this. and he, he sees the height and the inexperience. What he doesn't see is that David is facing him with God. So who are you going to face your giant with? You going to try to go by yourself? If you do, let me be the first to say best of luck to you. Hope it works out. Could, could not. What will happen when you face it with God? It would be Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28 that would remind us that all things work for good to them that love God. All things work out in God's fashion and in God's time for those who love God and follow after God. You know, face that giant with God. Notice this, number four. Someone on that battlefield would win. David or Goliath. Someone is going to win. They're not going to go out there with uh, Nerf guns and shoot each other and say, I shot you five times, you shot me four times, I win. 
now we'll just go back to our houses. That's not how this war, how this battle is going to take place. It is David who answers back to Goliath after Goliath says, I'm going to kill you right where you stand, to say, I'm going to cut your head off and show it to everybody around. Neither one of them had the intention of not killing the other person. That's not an option. Guess what? 1 Samuel 17 is a battle scene. Somebody's going to die. Someone will be victorious. And as you face giants in your life, someone will be victorious. Either you will be, or that giant will be. Notice number five, God always wins. Here in this particular situation of David versus Goliath, somebody was going to win there physically. But if you'll cheat a little bit on uh, Michael's series on the book of Revelation, just cheat just a little bit, it's okay. A preacher tells you you can, it's okay. You go read the last couple of chapters of the book and here's what you're going to find out. You, Christians, and God win. And God has always won, and God will always continue to win. No matter who won on this battlefield, God and his children will win. I'm going to side with him. I'm going to face that giant with God. And when somebody wins, it's going to be me and God. Notice number six. David... had opportunity in the valley to run at him and say, here I come, I'm going to get you. David had opportunity to walk out there in that armor that he hadn't proven and look like a soldier. David had opportunity to show himself to be the greatest soldier in Israel. That's not what he chose. See, what David chose was, I'm going to be on God's side, the righteous and holy God, that side that always wins. It's Goliath who came out there and said, you looking for the baddest Philistine on the planet? Here I am. You know who was out there with Goliath? A shield bearer. Who was out there with David? God. It's not about whether David wins or loses this particular battle. It is about which side he chose to be on. And ultimately, isn't that where it all lands? What side are you going to be on? Whose side will you choose when you are uh, obligated to face those giants in your life, who are you going to face them with? Yourself? You're going to face them with God. You have an opportunity tonight to choose. To choose which side you're going to be on.
You have the opportunity to choose whether you're going to be faithful to God and serve Him through belief and repentance, confession and baptism, being part of His army, being one of His soldiers. You have the opportunity to do that tonight if you haven't. And let me encourage you to do that, especially if you haven't. But as I look around this particular room, I see most of us have. And brother or sister, now you're afforded with a different opportunity that's just as valuable as the opportunity to choose to be on God's side. You have the opportunity tonight to choose to come back. You see, not all of us who live the Christian life Live it outside of here. We like to be on God's side here, but we think outside of these walls, everything else we can kind of handle ourselves. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. You have the opportunity tonight to come back According to Ephesians chapter 6, put on that Christian armor and to live as a soldier for God. You know what the results of this battle between David and Goliath ended up being? A song. Ended up being a song that would... I assume, would uh, stroke the ego of David at the beginning and then turn out to be one of his worst nightmares. Saul has killed his thousands. David is ten thousands. You know, both of those statements are true. Both Saul and David defended the nation of Israel. Both Saul and David were Israelites. But which one of them was faithful? You have an opportunity tonight to choose to be faithful. What will you choose? Choose it right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement.